millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Curious Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Henri Bourassa is one of the most famous Quebec journalists in the history of that province, and in fact, he is one of the most influential journalists in the history of Canada. His writing at Le Devoir, the paper he founded, was embraced by many as the voice of French Canadians struggling to assert their place in a rapidly changing Canadian nation. He was a complex man, a devout ultramontane Catholic, a French-Canadian nationalist, but also a man who saw a future where English and French-Canadians could cooperate and live side by side in harmony as the two races of a strong, proud Canadian nation. Yet, he was also deeply disturbed by Canada's attachment to Britain and Britain's empire. And time and time again, his platform at Le Devoir became the voice of many in Quebec who bristled at this long-standing imperial connection. No event put Barassa on the national stage like the First World War. While he was already quite well known in Quebec prior to 1914, by the end of that war he would be known from coast to coast. To some, as a brave Quebec patriot. To others, as a radical mouthpiece. He would be characterized as a courageous visionary and lambasted as an enemy to the Canadian people and a threat to Canada's war effort. This is Season 8, Episode 6, Henri Bourassa and the Conscription Crisis. Today's book recommendation is titled Duty to Dissent, Henri Barassa and the First World War. This was written by Jeff Keelan and was published in 2019 by UBC Press. And this is a fantastic look at this important historical figure and his time during the First World War. Joseph Napoleon Henri Barassa was born in Montreal in 1868. He was the grandson of the famous French-Canadian Louis-Joseph Papineau, a key figure in the Lower Canadian Rebellion of 1837. Now, Barassa's mother passed away when Henri was only six months old, 
But because of his tight-knit, extended family, Henri was often cared for by relatives. In particular, Henri became close with his uncle, who was an oblate missionary. And thus, Catholicism played a significant role in Henri's early development. In fact, his uncle was what we would label ultramontane, meaning that his spiritual and moral compass was set by Rome and not necessarily by the nation he lived in. Barassa was deeply affected by this strand of Catholicism, though was not just educated in only the Catholic manner, but was also well-read in a variety of secular genres and excelled in his general studies. Yet he never really settled into any one career path. He attended a variety of different schools, studying religion, law, and other subjects, before trying his hand at politics. In 1890, he was elected mayor of the Quebec town of Montebello, and in 1896 won the federal election for the Labelle district running as a liberal under Wilfrid Laurier. Today, the Labelle district encompasses Laurentian towns such as Mont-Laurier, Mont-Tremblant, and Rivière-Rouge, to name a few. Despite a strong beginning, politically speaking, Barassa became increasingly alienated from the party whom he felt was not doing enough to protect French-Canadian interests in Canada. When Laurier committed Canada to the Boer War in 1899, Barassa left the party and sat in the House of Commons as an independent. Barassa was, even then, strongly against what he saw as pro-imperialist military action with Canada's involvement in that war. By the beginning of the 20th century, Barassa embraced, and some even say helped develop, a form of nationalism that historians refer to as nationalisme, whereby the Canadian nation can thrive while embracing both French-Canadian nationalism and English-Canadian nationalism side by side. Barassa was a key founding member of the Ligue Nationaliste, which sought to promote French-Canadian nationalist interests within both Canada and Quebec. It was a blending of social Catholicism, British liberalism, American progressivism with a bilingual and bicultural Canadian vision. So, for example, advocating for the state to address social problems like poverty, intervening in the economy where necessary, while also advocating for greater industrial and urban growth within Quebec. All the while, a strong education system playing a vital role in the province, but this education being overseen by the Catholic Church. As for Quebec's role in Canada, Barrasso was not a separatist. He and his like-minded associates desired greater autonomy for Quebec within Canada, but also called for Canada to gain a greater form of independence from Britain and the British Empire. Of course, despite lofty intentions to have a nationalist program transmitted outside of Quebec's borders, it always remained provincial in support. The Ligue Nationaliste became quite well-known throughout Quebec, and by 1903, Barassa was its most well-known figure. Thus, he moved into the provincial political realm in 1907, and a year later won his first seat in the National Assembly, that's Quebec's provincial legislature. Just like his time in federal politics, however, Barassa became frustrated with provincial politics and would eventually leave that realm in 1912. However, 
Two years prior to that departure, he founded the newspaper Le Devoir, and this became his preferred medium for promoting his nationalist ideas and, of course, critiquing politicians. One of his first major targets was his old boss, Prime Minister Wilfrid Laurier, and Laurier's commitment to creating a small Canadian navy in 1910. By the time the war in Europe began in 1914, Barras's voice was a powerful one within Quebec. He had political connections both provincially and federally, and his newspaper was read throughout the province. Barassa towed a fine line when it came to commenting on the war. He actually initially supported Canada entering the conflict, though was also sharply suspicious of Ottawa's policies. He believed at first that the war could offer an opportunity to unite the country after years of French-English discord, yet was also strongly against the imperialist narrative that was developing in the early days, that being Canada going to the defense of Great Britain and its empire. He hoped that compromises in language policies in Canada could be met in an attempt to unite the two solitudes for the war effort, the two solitudes referring to the French and English-Canadian solitude. He was particularly focused on Regulation 17 in Ontario, which had eliminated French-language schooling in the province for thousands of Franco-Ontarians. Barras's call for repealing Regulation 17 was ignored. At the same time, Barras's suffered the ire of the Catholic Church in Quebec, who denounced his tepid support for the war, claiming it was a moral obligation to fight in the conflict. Many in French Canada also spoke out against Barras's position. Some claimed he underestimated the threat that the war in Europe posed. Others argued he undermined French Canada's position in Canada by presenting such a critical stance, while others accused Barassa of using the war to simply draw attention to himself and his newspaper. Many in English Canada simply ignored Barassa's highly nuanced position and saw him as Quebec's most vocal anti-war voice. In December of 1914, Barassa was supposed to speak at the Russell Theatre in Ottawa, but the crowd was so incensed at the man that he had to move to a different venue entirely, lest a riot break out. Barassa's position on the war would change as the years went on. By the time 1917 rolled around, Barassa firmly believed that Canada's war effort had gone too far, that Canada had given up too much to defend Britain's imperial designs, and he was vocal about Canada needing to withdraw from the conflict. His rhetoric had certainly become more and more angry in the preceding years, and he had alienated many within Quebec as a result of his vitriol, from prominent clergy to prominent politicians. Yet, his readership was stronger than ever, and many French Canadians saw in Barassa the true voice of French Canada in regards to the ongoing conflict. For Barassa, the First World War was clearly a war of imperial rivalry. And thus, for him, conscription, for the sake of imperial war, ran anathema to his fundamental belief that French Canadians had the right to choose their own destiny within Canada and certainly should not be subject to mandatory orders to get into uniform and fight for Britain.
While he did support the war at first, he supported volunteerism above all else and strongly rejected calls for conscription, calls that were growing louder and louder in 1917. As he wrote, and I quote, French Canadians hold themselves bound by all the duties resulting from the Constitution, but by nothing more, and thus have no other military duty to perform than to defend the territory of Canada when it is directly attacked. By 1917, Barassa even argued that Canada had gone beyond the limit of a reasonable participation in the European war. Now, it's important to understand here that much of English Canada felt that all Canadians had an obligation to fight for Canada, and thus Britain, for king and country. For many, including the Prime Minister Robert Borden, not only was it the duty of Canada to fight for Britain, but in doing so, Canada could have a voice in shaping the post-world imperial order. In the aftermath of the Battle of Vimy Ridge in April 1917, Borden realized that if Canada, represented by the Canadian Corps on the Western Front, was to continue its pace of operations and ensure that the Corps was reinforced appropriately, conscription was going to be necessary, as the number of volunteers was declining dangerously while the casualties were increasing rapidly. Curious Canadian history. We'll be back after the break. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Folks, as many of you already know, we here at Curious Canadian History make this podcast for you for free. And in order to ensure that we can continue to bring you this, we rely on advertising, as you probably are aware, but even that's not enough. So from time to time, I'd like to reach out and remind you all about Patreon. Because if you're looking for ad-free content from Curious Canadian History, look no further. Sign up to Patreon today. All you need to do is donate one or two bucks to the podcast via Patreon, and you can access all our episodes for free without any advertisement or sponsorship content. Patreon allows you to support the podcast safely, securely, and with the benefit of access to ad-free episodes. Furthermore, there's little surprise tidbits that I post weekly for those book lovers out there. Many of you probably know I am an avid book reader, and I love to talk about the books I'm reading. So sign up today to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Sign up today. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. The conflict over conscription came to a head during the 1917 federal election, where Borden orchestrated a merger of the conservative party with pro-conscription liberals to form a union party whose main agenda was passing conscription. The party ran its campaign with advertisements such as, and I quote, If your husband or father is on the firing line, he will have less chance of being killed or injured if we send more men to help them. Vote to save your kin. 
through some of the most devious political wrangling in Canadian political history, Borden won that election. And we covered that election in season five, episode seven. The union government that was now in power by the end of 1917 gained the majority of seats in every province except Quebec, with a tie in Prince Edward Island. Quebec was almost completely politically isolated for the first time in Canadian political history. Quebec politicians railed against the new union government. French Canadians in Quebec cities protested and even rioted, culminating in the bloody Easter riots of 1918. For Barassa, the imposition of conscription was evidence of the autocracy of Ottawa, going so far as to call it the imposition of Prussian militarism by the Canadian state. Barassa had been warning his readers about conscription since the early days of the war, and his rhetoric picked up intensity as the casualty list began to grow and recruitment numbers began to decline, especially by the spring of 1917. In fact, in March 1917, Barassa publicly predicted that Canadians would see conscription brought to the floor of the House of Commons within three months. He was right. To his readers, he tried to propose an alternate solution, expanding Canada's war industry instead of expanding the armed forces as a result of conscription. But he was fully aware that this was a highly unlikely route the Canadian government would ever take. He did step up his verbal attacks on the government, even accusing Wilfrid Laurier, leader of the official opposition, of colluding with the Conservatives to keep Canada in the war. Some of his claims were even more outrageous, that the Allies provided support to the Russian revolutionaries in order to force America's hand into the war while also removing the Tsar. He even went as far to suggest that there was a conspiracy of military democracies at play, seeking to overthrow all the monarchies of Europe, including Great Britain's. Barassa began to predict that the cost of the commitment to the war would ultimately lead to revolution and anarchy around the globe. In the aftermath of Borden's early summer 1917 announcement that his new union government would pursue conscription, Barassa highlighted to his readers the fact that Borden had previously promised not to enact such a measure. At the same time, as violent demonstrations broke out throughout Quebec, Barassa called for calm, arguing that petitions and written representations were infinitely more effective than street demonstrations. And he went as far as to say that French Canadians, and I quote, mustn't forget they were the defenders of order and constitution. In a rather paradoxical manner, despite Barras's vitriol on paper, he advocated strongly for opposition to conscription to be reasonable, rational, and especially nonviolent. Barassa certainly was not alone in opposing conscription. It was widely unpopular within Quebec. Some of those who had found themselves at odds with Barassa for much of the war suddenly found themselves on his side. Wilfred Laurier, leader of the liberal opposition, was one. But so was Archbishop of Quebec Paul Bouchazie, who was angry with Ottawa's change of heart on the matter. Barassa even cited some English-Canadian anti-conscription sentiments, such as farmers and Canadians of non-British descent. 
In August of 1917, as things began to heat up in the streets of Quebec, a bomb was detonated outside the home of the owner of Montreal's largest English-language newspaper. This bomb was found to be connected to an extreme group of anti-conscriptionists. Barassa was appalled and publicly denounced this action, arguing it only weakened the legitimacy of the opponents of conscription. Barassa was adamant that conscription could not be passed without an election, and of course, he did get that election. And in many ways, the election of November-December 1917 cemented Barassa as one of the most controversial figures in Canada in terms of Quebec's resistance to the war. Barassa even made it into public federal political discussions. Union candidates sought to paint Laurier as influenced by Barassa, whom Unionists referred to as the King of Quebec. Were Laurier to win, some Unionists said, Barassa would be the one pulling the strings. As much as Barassa appealed to his readers to vote against the Union government, it was of no use. Most of his readers were in Quebec, and most of Quebec was not going to vote Union. He was preaching to an echo chamber. In the aftermath of Borden's election victory... Borassa denounced the Union Party as one that ignored Canada's historic racial divide. He speaks of English and French as Canada's two races, and Borassa warned of a serious threat to national unity. He, in fact, refuted the idea the election was a referendum on conscription at all and claimed that English Canada had now turned its back on French Canada. He even suggested that the Liberal Party, who had won 62 of the 65 seats in Quebec, should now become a French-Canadian party to represent French-Canadian interests. Throughout the first months of 1918, public demonstrations and riots erupted frequently in Quebec, culminating in riots over Easter weekend, which saw Canadian troops fire on demonstrators, killing four of them. The new Union government then passed far more strict censorship laws, so Barassa became limited in how he could write about these events, though he continually stressed that violence undermined the anti-conscription movement. Despite Barassa's clear opposition to the violence and his denunciation of the protesters and demonstrators, Barassa had become the most well-known anti-war figure in the country. And this meant he had made many enemies, especially in English Canada. Throughout 1917 and into 1918, the chief press censor's office was inundated with letters from Canadians all over the country asking that Barassa be muzzled. Yet, the chief press censor, E.J. Chambers, one of the most powerful men in the country, was reluctant to censor Barassa, fearing the reaction from French Canadians. Chambers even reached out to Barassa's co-editor at Le Devoir, Georges Peltier, and got Peltier's assurance he would help to calm Barassa down. Barassa certainly attempted to make his writing more amenable to the censor's office, but in the aftermath of the Easter riots, Borden passed legislation making any sort of anti-war sentiment by the media punishable by the censor's office. Barassa raised the white flag. He wrote to his readers, and I quote, The government, which bears full responsibility for the measures of the war, believes that the time has come to prohibit any expression of opinion that it judges inappropriate 
or likely to foster differences of opinion on the object or conduct of the war. It remains for us to submit to the decision of the authorities and to leave it to the future to determine whether it is in the best interest of the country. Barassa wrote almost nothing for the remainder of the war. When word reached him that an armistice had been reached on the 11th of November, 1918, he wrote, and I quote, Let us thank God for silencing the murderous voice of the cannons, that is, the voice of pride, hatred, and brutal and blind force. Let us ask him to make the voice of humility, repentance, reason enlightened by faith, true social charity speak louder than ever. Let us ask him to enlighten the conscience of the peoples and the minds of leaders. I want to thank you all for listening today. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Doc Boris. That's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Patreon. And you can find us on all podcast listening devices. And please do not hesitate to write and leave a comment. We love to hear from you. I'm David Boris. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious, friends.